Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. And uh, did I say happy Thursday already? If I didn't, happy Thursday. I'm really happy to uh, have you back here this week. Of course, uh, last week I was on vacation. You heard me on the the beach there. And uh, like I said, I was just going to be there for a few days. Just enough to soak in a little bit of the sounds of the ocean, watch some firecrackers, and then get back home. And so I'm I'm home again. Some real quick announcements, and then we're going to get right into today's topic. Uh, thelastsymptom.com that's my website full of free resources that I hope you'll take advantage of there are also some paid resources there like one-on-one phone calls with me one-on-one zoom video calls with me and uh, of course the last symptom fundamentals course which is an intensive two-week pre-recorded video program I'd hope that you'd look into that because I spent a lot of hard work on that trying to include every insight I could possibly think of to uh, help you establish a very firm foundation of insights upon which you can continue to build for a long, long time, but insights that can give you immediate benefits can immediately change your life. So if you're interested in that, go over there to uh, thelastsymptom.com. Check that out. Lately, one of the big projects under my belt is going back into all of the early episodes of the Last Symptom podcast and editing out all of the outdated references to things that no longer exist. Like, for example, I remember when I first got started with the Last Symptom, I didn't have a real website. I was using like a WordPress thing, and it was very, you know, it was free for me, and Um, it wasn't very good I just wanted a place where I could put articles and stuff like that and early on I was advertising that on the last symptom podcast well I got rid of that as you probably know and uh, and I've got the permanent website which is thelastsymptom.com and there are references to other things like groups that no longer exist and those sorts of things so I've been going back through all those old episodes and uh, editing those things out also you know the big one was I think for the first I think for the entire first season uh, the show was actually called The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder to help eliminate confusion about that for new listeners you know I don't want people coming across this show and confusing The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder as being some kind of separate entity or separate thing altogether so I I've gone back I am currently in the process of going back 
and editing that out of all the early shows. So instead of opening the show with uh, Happy Thursday, welcome back to the last symptom of borderline personality disorder, I've gone through and I've, I've taken out of borderline personality disorder. So these things take a lot of work, but it's fun work for me because I'm getting to hear how the show has evolved over the years and just how far we've come, you know, the refinements that I've made in my work. For example, uh, my focus is not primarily borderline personality disorder anymore. It's primarily emotional disorders. Although, of course, my personal experience with emotional disorders happens to be with borderline personality disorder specifically. But I'm trying to help people understand that the things we talk about that apply to borderline personality disorder are not unique to borderline personality disorder. They apply to all emotional disorders. And I've really tried to communicate that. I don't think I've done a really stupendous job of it yet because uh, I just got a message the other day. Let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. This was an email that I have not yet had time to reply to but it's appropriate here all right yeah it says a uh, person sent me an email and asked uh, do you suppose uh, that uh, you know she's given me her her history here and everything and she's asking me if she specifically has borderline personality disorder what if I told her no what if I said okay everything that uh, you know, all the reasons why you're listening to The Last Symptom and all the reasons why you're drawn to my work, despite all that, you don't specifically have borderline personality disorder. I bet you a nickel that the person would say, okay, well, I'm going to go look somewhere else then. <laughs> and it makes no sense. Whatever she's dealing with, the last symptom of borderline personality disorder can help her as long as it's emotional in nature and as long as it's any emotional disorder. So that's one refinement I've made. You know, borderline personality disorder, I do continue to make a focus on that. But I've been trying to communicate that, that really the, the topic of focus here at The Last Symptom, the real topic of focus is not just borderline personality disorder. It's emotional health. And uh, everybody can benefit from that, can't they? So we've come a long way. But as I'm going through the old episodes of the Last Symptom podcast, I realized that many times I would discuss several things in a single episode, or let's say two major things in a single episode, and both topics are so important that they should be standalone. So one of the things I'm doing is I'm taking out information from some of the old episodes of this podcast and I'm cr making those into standalone episodes and bringing them into this season, this fourth season. So that's what you're going to hear today. Uh, today I was editing, I think it was uh, season one, episode 56, I believe, uh, which was How Reasonable Are You? And at, toward the end of that episode, I had this big discussion about relationships. And I realized the reasonable part of that episode should be standalone. And this discussion about relationships, that should be standalone. So I edited out that whole second part of that episode, and that's what you're going to hear today. So in today's episode, what you're going to hear is that somebody had uh, 
corresponded with me about relationships and then I went through that correspondence and we talked about relationships so without further ado let's get into that today what I'm going to do here is take selective parts of her comment break them down into bite-sized bits and then respond to them also I want to state that I really enjoyed this post in its entirety and I was really pleased that it came from the person that it came from she may hear this on the show, and I don't want her to think that I'm selecting her words because she said anything wrong. On the contrary, I'm selecting her words because I think her questions are questions a lot of people have, and it's an opportunity for me to just provide quick answers to them. Bear in mind, most of these answers are answers I've given in the past, but there's nothing wrong with repeating them here. She says... Listening to the Boundaries Part 2 podcast, I feel very defensive and wish to reject it all, so I know you must be on to something. What she's referring to is episode 42, 43, and 44 of this podcast. It was a three-part series involving boundaries as the main topic. Anyway, her comment here, is actually really insightful. The kickback response she describes, this reflexive negative response, is usually our cue that denial is kicking in. It is our cue to stop, pay close attention, and give that information extra attention to sort out the nuances, understand why we feel that way, and be honest with ourselves about it, and to give that information a fair and proper hearing. She says, if I can't feel genuine love, is it wrong to stay in a relationship? The answer is this. No. It's not wrong or right. And that type of thinking is not appropriate when we discuss making decisions for recovery or emotional health. Rather, the appropriate thinking is this. Will this primarily contribute to my good emotional health? Or will this primarily contribute to my poor emotional health? If the answer is the second one, and you're interested in authentic recovery or authentic emotional health, well, then you know the answer. It's got to go. Now, there's no sense in being a closed-off hermit while trying to escape emotional unhealth. But there's even less sense in getting in or staying in romantic relationships that have the delusional appearance of being the real deal because it isn't genuine love. It can't be genuine love. That's an utter impossibility. Why? Because the person you're with is just as emotionally unhealthy as you. Otherwise, he wouldn't be with you. So you got two people riddled with erroneous perspectives on life, both totally emotionally unhealthy, and yet it starts seeming like a good idea to you to dedicate your life to this person. It seems realistic that the outcome from blindly, voluntarily throwing yourself into this fire could be a positive outcome. You know that's impossible. 
I know popular songs say otherwise, and romance novels say otherwise, and Hollywood movies say otherwise. But no, we live in real life. Not fictional romance stories. Getting in or building hopes on a relationship you're already in while dealing with emotional unhealth yourself and the other person is dealing with emotional unhealth is madness. It's choosing future misery for yourself of a level you probably cannot fathom at this point in time. Years and years of frustrating misery that has unusually high odds of ending in collapse or murder or infidelity or simply unbearable daily conflict for years and years until old age. You will never get those years back. She says, I feel like I've been in relationships that were purely something else, but I feel like this one is different. Here's my response. Love is not a feeling. It's a quality. Your feelings aren't what determine love. Our feelings tell us lots of things. Our feelings can get us into trouble. Just because our feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong, does not mean that the messages that they're sending us are always based on the truth. So, I'm sure that this relationship feels great. That means nothing. You've got to use your head here. You don't need a husband before you're emotionally healthy. There's no sense in even thinking like that until you're emotionally healthy. So get emotionally healthy. And guess what will happen? You'll find an emotionally healthy husband. And then guess what will happen? Your marriage will be happy. And then guess what will happen? You'll have many, many beautiful years together. That's the formula. But the formula you're talking about is being emotionally unhealthy. Therefore, the only person who's going to be with you and think it's a great idea is another emotionally unhealthy person. And what's going to happen? You guys are going to get together. And then you're just going to live the rest of your life in misery. It, you know, even if it, you get divorced after 10 years or 20 years, do you know how painful divorce is? It's really painful. What if kids come into the picture? You're going to be permanently stuck at the hip to that guy forever, no matter how much you mature and realize what a mistake it was. Nothing good, nothing good comes out of this. She says, if I get better, will I I not love him? No, you won't, because if you're authentically emotionally healthy, you will not crave being in committed, intimate relationships with those who are not. Emotionally healthy people don't look at a person who is emotionally unhealthy and think, oh yeah, that's just what I need in my life. Committed relationships are a form of bringing things into our lives and making it our life. So acquiring in the future authentic emotional health means that what you are drawn to now will not be appealing to you after. Emotionally healthy people desire only emotional health in their lives. Think about anybody you see in public who's obnoxious and contrary to your sense of etiquette. You don't invite these people into your home. (laughs) 
maybe at certain points in your life, there were certain types of people like this that you identified with and embraced, but then you matured and your understanding of life matured. As just an example, let's say somebody was once a heroin addict, but now is not. There are people, the recovered heroin addict, surely embraced at one time, who he or she now wants nothing to do with. And I'm not talking about shunning a person entirely or you know, not going out for coffee and catching up or not caring about their well-being. What I'm saying is that the recovering heroin addict has no interest in spending extended time with such people or of inviting them fully into their life. Why not? Because for the type of life the recovered person now enjoys, there's absolutely no appeal whatsoever to returning to that inferior life. They escaped it, and now they do not want anything to do with it. So if this guy recovered, you know, theoretically, individually and on his own, totally regardless and independent from you, and you also achieved the same thing completely regardless and independent of him, maybe then the two of you could meet back up years down the road and be healthfully suited for each other. I'm going to give you an example, a personal example of this. And th- this is nothing against people who smoke. You know, if you choose to smoke, that's your business, not mine. But in my past, when I had many girlfriends, I was crazy about several of them. I really, really liked these girls. The problem is that they smoked. And I could not stand that they smoked. I have ants. I mean, everybody in my extended family smokes. And I've seen what it's done to them over the years. Turns their skin leathery, teeth yellow. I mean, some of my aunts were beauties, just beauties when, when they were younger. Years of smoking has totally undone all that. So when I'm getting into a relationship with a woman, I'm not thinking just about what she looks like now. I'm thinking about what she's going to look like 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And if that woman is a smoker, I have some pretty close living models in my life that I can look at and get a pretty good idea of what 20 years of smoking is going to do to that person. So it's just not something that interests me. Now, what do you suppose would have happened if I had gone to any of these girls and said, you know, I don't like the smoking. You know, the thing is, when we met... They said they didn't smoke. But what happens? We go to a bar or something, they have a drink, now they want to smoke. Which is dishonest, isn't it? Because if you really don't smoke, you don't smoke. It's not just that I don't smoke sometimes. You either smoke or you don't smoke. If you smoke sometimes, you're a smoker. What do you reckon would have happened if I had gone to the girls and I'd said, you know, everything, I like everything about you. It's just the smoking thing is, you know, I can't, I don't like it. Can't imagine having kids with you and them being around that, you know, all these things. Well, what they might have done is quit smoking. But what's the problem with that? The problem is when you do something for somebody else, it's not real. It's not real. Because what's going to happen is that as soon as the honeymoon phase 
of the relationship is over, what is that person going to do? She's going to start sneaking cigarettes. She's going to start smoking behind my back because she knows I don't like it. And the only reason she quit in the first place was to please me. So one, I let them know I didn't like it. And I waited to see if they would quit on their own. Well, sure enough, when they found out I didn't like it, they tried to hide it. But as any non-smoker can attest, when you get around somebody who does smoke, even if they smoked two hours ago and then took a shower, you can still smell it. You can smell it in their hair. You can smell it when you kiss them. So that was what, what happened. They pretended to stop, but they kept smoking. What if I had said to myself, well... I hope they'll change in the future. And I had married one of them. How do you reckon that would have gone over? Same thing. Same thing. You can't make decisions on a maybe. You can only make decisions on what people really do or don't do now for the right reasons. The only way I could know for a certainty that I could have the future that I wanted with these women, that I could know that they're giving up cigarettes was real and permanent was if they did it for themselves regardless and independent of me and our relationship. So that's the situation that people with borderline personality disorder and emotional unhealth are living with. You don't want to have three happy years with somebody. You want to have 50 happy years with somebody. How do you do that? You do it by making good decisions. And the good decision that you want to make is to focus on your emotional health, regardless and independent of anybody else and any relationships. Just focus on yourself. Get it done right. Because then you're going to find somebody else who matches that lifestyle too. And then you've set yourself up for success. You've set yourself up for 80 years of happiness or 50 years of happiness, not three, and heartbreak or 50 years of frustration and misery. All right, enough preaching from me. Let's go on. So this type of thinking that, oh, well, I'll fix myself and he'll fix himself and then we'll get together, it's total misdirection because there's only one thing you need to be concerned with and it's not him. It's not any romantic relationships. You are not defined. I want to highlight this. People, you are not defined by romantic relationships. Do you know why you think you are? Because of movies. Because of songs. Because of poetry. So let's say it again. You, Bob or Sally or Tina or Fred, none of you are ever defined by romantic relationships. Your inner contentment is not decided by romantic relationships. That is a total bullshit premise. If you're like me, by the time you turn 18, boom, first thing you're thinking, wife, 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 need a wife, need a wife, need a wife, need a girlfriend, need a girlfriend, need to be with somebody, need to be with somebody. No, you don't. No, you don't. Emotionally healthy people are content, are genuinely content, whether they're single 
or with somebody. Your emotional unhealth is creating the narrative that your happiness depends on being in a relationship. You know, I get, I'm so tired of talking about this subject because I talk about it all the time and nobody gets it. Even if you're married for 50 years, guess what? Your marriage doesn't define you. Your marriage does not define you. Your marriage defines your marriage. That's it. Your marriage defines your marriage. Two people as a unit, but it doesn't define you as a person. The purpose of recovery is not to have a better relationship. The purpose of striving toward emotional health is, has nothing to do with relationships. It has nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with finding and getting in a happy relationship. Nothing. The striving for emotional health has to do with being you as a person, by yourself, being content within yourself. You know, I often say that uh, it's like you are... When you become emotionally healthy, you are a perfect cake. It's like a pastry chef has sculpted you into a perfect cake. You are just fine, just the way you are. And guess what? If you decide to get in a relationship, boink, that's the cherry on top of an already perfect cake. The cake doesn't need the cherry. The cherry is just a nice added touch. I said enough preaching, and then I went on and did it anyway. So she goes on to say, as far as boundaries go, is it me who enforces others to make them? Boundaries. This is the answer. Boundaries are what you create around yourself and enforce upon yourself. Nobody else and nothing anybody else does or does not do is any of your business. Your only business is you, as explained in my article entitled The Law of Individual, Inherent Rights, Responsibility, and Authority. You can find that article over at thelastsymptom.com in the free article library. Simply click on the tab in the menu that says Articles, and once you're there, search through the library until you find the one entitled the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. And now, how about a poem to close out the show? Sound good to you? This one comes from Ray Bradbury. And the poem is called Byzantium I Come Not From. Are you ready? Here we go. Byzantium I come not from, but from another time and place, whose race is simple, tried, and true. As boy, I dropped me forth in Illinois, a name with neither love nor grace. Was Wakagan, there I came from, and not good friends, Byzantium. And yet in looking back I see, from topmost part of furthest tree, a land as bright, beloved, and blue, as any Yates found to be true. The house I lived in, hewn of gold, 
and on the highest market sold, was dandelion minted, made, by spendthrift bees in bee-loud glade. And then, of course, our finest wine came forth from that same dandelion, while dandelion was my hair as bright as all the summer air. I dipped in rain barrels for my eyes, and cherry stained my lips, my cries, my shouts of purest exultation. Byzantium? No, that Indian nation, which made of Indian girls and boys, spelled forth itself as Illinois. Yet all the Indian bees did hum, Byzantium, Byzantium. So we grew up with mythic dead, to spoon upon Midwestern bread, and spread old God's bright marmalade, the slake and peanut butter shade, pretending there beneath our sky that it was Aphrodite's thigh, pretending too that Zeus was ours, and Thor fell down in thunder showers, while by the porch rail, calm and bold, his words, pure wisdom, stare, pure gold. My grandfather, a myth indeed, did all of Plato supersede, while Grandmama, in rocking chair, sewed up the raveled sleeve of care, crocheted cool snowflakes rare and bright, to winter us on summer night. And uncles gathered with their smokes, emitted wisdoms, masked as jokes, and ants as wide as Delphic maids, dispensed prophetic lemonades. The boys knelt there as acolytes on Grecian porch on summer nights, then went to bed there to repent the evils of the innocent. The gnatsins sizzling in their ears said through the nights and through the years, not Illinois nor Waukegan, but blither sky and blither sun. Though mediocre all our fates and mare not as bright as Yates, Yet still we knew ourselves the sum, Byzantium, Byzantium. That is, Byzantium I Come Not From, by Ray Bradbury, and his book of poems entitled, Where Robot Mice and Robot Men Run Round in Robot Towns. That's all for me this week. I'll see you next Thursday, same place, same time. This is Brian Barnett signing off. <laughs>